We have three scripture readings this morning. The first one is found in John chapter 13, verses 36 to 38. John chapter 13, 36 to 38. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And in Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 to 75. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where another girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. For your accent gives you away. And then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, the rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered a word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And in John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why hasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. 
Good morning. Such a beautiful and warm morning. So as it gets warmer and COVID goes down, we get more hopeful. And thanks be to, thanks be to the Lord. We're going through land, remembering the suffering of Christ and for us. I would start with what I heard when I was in South Korea that there was a part-time pastor, female, who taught kids there. And she once, and I was um, pastoring for young adults. And I invited her, uh, the, the pastor, part-time pastor, to our uh, young adult kind of sermon or worship, and she preached, preached there. And her sermon is something unforgettable to me, that she asked a question to young adults. Do, can you guess why? God demanded Abraham to sacrifice his beloved son Isaac as a burnt offering. Can you guess why? That's not an easy question, right? And her answer, she answered that she heard from a pastor in South Korea. And the pastor explained the reason that God the Father wanted to share his heart with Abraham, that whom God called as his friend, that how it would be painful for God, saving the sinners, sacrificing his son. Abraham walked for three days to get to Moriah, the place, to sacrifice his son. Think about the three days, bringing his beloved son to sacrifice God as a burnt offering. And for three days, Abraham could share how God was in pain that sacrificing his one and only son for sinner's sake. So we are going through Lent, remembering the suffering of Christ and our salvation is done by the sacrifice of the Son of God and God the Father, his broken heart because he loved us to save sinners like me and us. Peter said, I will not leave you even if I should die for your sake. And also did other disciples when Jesus said one of them would betray him. Do you think what they said to Jesus were all lies? I don't think so. They left everything to follow Jesus their property, their job, their own plans of their lives, even their family. It was not small commitment at all, but indeed a serious and radical commitment that the disciples invested for following Jesus, whom they had believed as the Messiah. They had been being with Jesus almost three years, and they did behold all the powerful miracles, healings, deliverance ministry of Jesus, so they must have known how powerful Jesus was. I think they did believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Not just believed, I think they indeed deeply respected and loved Jesus as their Lord and teacher as well. However, when the crisis has had come, all the apostles ran away, including Peter. At first, 
Peter had protested by sword to protect Jesus, showing his loyalty for Jesus, but Jesus did not permit that route. Peter could not yield himself to be arrested, so he chose to run away. Since the situation was extremely tense, so partly it's understandable, still it's true that Peter and other apostles could not keep their vows they made to Jesus. Somehow, Peter did not simply give it up, but secretly followed Jesus to see what would happen to him. Meanwhile, some people had recognized that Peter was one of the followers of Jesus, so they interrogated Peter. At that moment, it seems that Peter was extremely unstable and precarious condition, being deprived of his powerful Messiah, all of a sudden, who then became powerless and arrested. Ominously, what Jesus foretold about his suffering and his death were all happening now, and Peter, as well as other apostles, did not know what to do with that unfolding, miserable event, so they couldn't help but only being so vulnerable, all in a fluster. Peter was under an overwhelming fear. They simply and completely forgot about the promise of resurrection, facing all that urgent physical threatening of Jewish leaders and Roman power against Jesus, and also possibly against themselves. So when Peter by chance was interrogated by some people, including two servant girls, his responses were simply about denying his relationship with Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. In Matthew, the first denial, Peter said, I do not know what you mean. The second denial, Peter said, I do not know the man. And the third denial, Peter invoked a curse on himself and swore, saying, I do not know the man. Then the rooster crowed, and Peter could remember what Jesus prophesied on him, and he collapsed bitterly. This story keeps giving me a challenge. Rather than arrogantly blaming Peter and other apostles, I try to be in their shoes. I mean, if I were one of them, if I were Peter at that moment of extremely critical danger and very close threatening of death, if we were them, if we were Peter, what could we do? Could we keep the vows and follow Jesus, even being crucified with him, or just like Peter, run away, denying Jesus, invoking curse on ourselves? I believe this is a meaningful imagination as we go through Lent this year. We keep contending, disputing, debating, defending, criticizing, competing, we keep doing these things because we somehow really want to be serious with our Christian faith and make it meaningful, being exposed to some hostile atmosphere against traditional biblical church Christian beliefs, about interpretation of the Bible, about sound doctrines, about reliable Christian education for our dearly beloved children, about true Christianity, right? Not only that, we also apply our Christian faith into politics and social system, and it seems quite true that our Christian faith, or say our faith style, 
it does affect our political stance. So it gets complex. And that complexity is not what I would preach about today. It is the opposite, actually. When we read Acts chapter 1, in which Jesus was about to be ascended back to heaven, to his Father, even still, very interesting. Indeed, it seemed shockingly interesting to me that among those apostles and disciples, some of them did ask this question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So in the minds of the apostles and disciples, there were truly quite complex thoughts related to the kingdom of Israel, driving out Roman Empire, the pagans, and the Roman soldiers, all that blaspheming cults and liturgies which had been threatening traditional Jewish religion and its own liturgies, and even more, the apostles and disciples could have dreamed of becoming powerful in the new government under the Messiah Jesus, that they could become rich and powerful in the new kingdom of Israel. So those kinds of earthly visions, earthly aspirations were still strongly at work in them even after Jesus' resurrection. That shows how thoroughly those apostles and disciples were caught up by earthly vision rather than heavenly vision. Do I try to underestimate social justice? No. Then what? It's more of how. Making a better word, yes, but how? As many, as, as many parties and politicians and militaries do, no. As I graduated the seminary I attended in this area, I got some Bible verses even became far more meaningful and powerful in me after the five years of theological and spiritual wrestling. And the, one of the most meaningful verse, verses is Acts Act chapter 1, um, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Here, Jesus mentioning the Holy Spirit's coming upon them. He emphasized that his apostles, disciples, will become his witnesses. Not the witnesses of existing Jewish tradition. Not the witness of any kind of political system. Not the witnesses of certain religious system even not the witness of the restored kingdom of Israel, no, but first and foremost, the, witness, the witnesses of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Not a few theologians today say and insist that Christian faith must be more than personal relationship with God so that Christian could serve the world in more active and broader sense so-called as public theology, which ponders on how Christians should contribute, not only in religious field, but also in broader public area. And that is a good idea, and I love it basically. And that's one of the reasons why I serve in the jail and the work release. However, a risk of that insistence is that not a few people being involved in numerous social and political issues underestimate their personal relationship with God 
with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. Application of our Christian faith in wider society is much needed, but it becomes something non-Christian if we lose our good and solid personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, as just, just we have read, calls us as his witnesses more than anything. If we do not make effort for the good relationship with Jesus, but keep delving into our own ideas and thoughts, mainly related to with all the earthly things, completely forgetting about the promised resurrection, it is not impossible for us to say someday, facing overwhelming issues of our time and being precarious at any moment, as Peter was and said, I do not know the man. I hope and pray we may not do that. The ever most important focus is Jesus himself, who Jesus is, and what Jesus does, what Jesus promises, and what Jesus bids us. Christians must be the witnesses of Jesus Christ more than anything on this earth. Again, Acts 1, 6 to 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Our yearly catchphrase, as you know, is this, one piece, stay focused. And the focus is God's Son, our Christ, our Messiah, our Savior, our hope, our power, our joy, our wisdom, our way, our life, our song, our truth, our freedom, and our glory. Jesus Christ. There is a meaningful story we can look at as a count, counter example of Peter. It is the commitment of Mary the sister of Martha and Lazarus. According to today's passage, Mary poured the invaluable ointment on Jesus' feet. Not even on head, but feet. And wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, there is a story of Mary that Mary was an attentive listener of Jesus' words even when Martha was irritated by many works. Jesus affirmed and complimented Mary for her zeal, for her listening to Jesus. So we can, we can try to imagine that while the apostles and other disciples were all in fluster and in an extreme fear, not knowing what to do at all, Mary could have known Jesus would die soon and then she simply focused on what she could and did her best. According to Jesus, she prepared Jesus' burial. Even further, seeing Mary as a very attentive listener of what Jesus spoke, we can imagine the probability that Mary could have been carrying in her heart the words of Jesus that he would be raised from the dead and meet his disciples at Galilee. Because Jesus did foretell about that a couple of, couple of times to his disciples. 
just a mere imagination, but I think it's a possible imagination given Mary was such an attentive listener of Jesus. Not only her attentiveness in listening to Jesus, but also her exceptional offering and, and the extremely humble commitment to Jesus that ever shines enough through that dark and ominous atmosphere of the narrative of Jesus' death. The ointment was about 300 denarii cost, and a denarius was a day's wage of a, of a laborer, so it was about at least $20,000 of US, of US dollar today. Not only the high cost of the ointment, she wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. The more I see this kind of humbleness, I'm more inclined to Mary might have known Jesus' death and she was possibly lamenting on that in advance with that beautiful commitment. Her exceptional offering and humbleness was real, whether she knew Jesus' death and even the resurrection or not. And that makes a meaningful contrast to Peter and other apostles who did only boast on their own heart for Jesus, but eventually ran away at the most critical moment, then even denied him. So, what can you learn from these stories today, from Peter and from Mary? First, Christians must rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to follow Christ to the end. The whole process of salvation does not belong to human beings but God so we must rely on God, not too much relying on our own shaky, whimsical heart. Peter, as well as other apostles, they were resolute enough. When they had spoke to Jesus, they would never betray him, but they ran away. It is interesting and worth paying attention enough that Jesus said to Peter that, now you cannot follow me, but later, you will. So Jesus did know that Peter and other disciples would fail but would come back again and would be able to follow him. Jesus foresaw these all in advance. Then what was the difference between the now and the later? It was the power of the Holy Spirit with no doubt. After the Pentecost, Peter as well as all those apostles and disciples became thoroughly out and out courageous so they could speak straightforwardly to Sanhedrin, the highest Jewish power group at that time. Not only that, but also majority of them became martyrs for Christ. And based on trustworthy church history, it is known that Peter was crucified upside down. Once a runaway, but ended up as a courageous martyr for Jesus. So if we are to follow Jesus to the end, receiving the power of the Holy Spirit is a must. I'm glad that Yellow Creek will have a chance to study about the Holy Spirit after Easter through a sermon series. Human resolution and willingness can never be underestimated, but not more than the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter, it does matter, but even without, even with our utmost level of resolution and willingness for Christ, 
We Christians must know that it is God, the triune God, who initiates, sustains, and completes the whole process of salvation, not us. Philippians 1.6, Paul said, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So we make effort to participate in the grand gospel project of God. But our own efforts are not enough, but we need to keep relying on God every moment with a humble and open heart to God. That is why we need to pray ceaselessly. That's why we need to gather together to worship God and to listen to God's words of eternal life. That's why we need to keep believing which is not simple and easy, yet in the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In following Christ, I did not think much on courage until I became a bit more older. I thought about more of love, faith, hope, grace, praise, evangelism, blessings from God, truth, spiritual warfare, etc. Now, under the current atmosphere, which is not so much amiable to traditional and biblical churches, I think a lot about courage. And that's what I so vividly see from 16th century Anabaptists and the early church members under the Roman Empire. Following Christ under a harsh, harsh and hostile atmosphere demands courage. And we need to know we cannot generate that kind of courage on our own, but from the power of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of courage for God's kingdom and his righteousness. The example of Jesus, who knew everything from the start, from the scratch, that he was walking to his death and through it to the resurrection. That shows us how courageous Jesus was himself laying down his own life on the cross to save sinners, obeying the will of the Father. Second, love the Bible and be zealous in reading, understanding, believing, and practicing the Bible. Remember Mary, who was an excellent listener of Jesus and made one of the most beautiful commitments in the gospel stories. I believe indeed it was one of the most beautiful commitments. How Mary could do that? It was because Mary was very attentive in listening to Jesus Christ. I myself have been through quite a lot of crises in my own life as a man whose mind is quite distracted. But through all those challenges in my life, one of the most reliable ways by which I have made good breakthroughs is to humbly come back to the Bible and minutely reading the Bible again and again and again, then praying with the Bible. Today I could share the story of Mary, right? Actually, one day I felt I needed to read the Bible more, but I don't know, I didn't want to open the Bible. Sometimes reading the Bible feels no easy. But anyhow, I could open the Bible. I thought, okay, only one paragraph I would read. 
Then the passage was about Mary's wiping Jesus' feet. Before, I did not think much about it was feet. But that day, about 10 days before, the word feet came into my eyes anew, letting me think of how humble she was and radical, using $20,000 in a few minutes. So thankfully, I could integrate that story to the sermon, making a meaningful contrast to Peter. The Bible certainly speaks in many places about the worth of the word of God. Hebrew 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And Timothy 1 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Ephesians 6.10-17, finally be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic power over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Third, love one another to the end as Jesus did. Jesus gave us his new commandment. John 13, 34 to 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. One day, Corey Martin, the head chaplain of the jail ministry, and I left a lot, agreeing together that no splendid theological theory will save the inmates in the jail who suffer with continuous recidivism. Only true love, care, forgiveness, and keep on walking with them, showing Jesus' love, no matter how, how many times they relapse. That real love only will change and save them, and is all the same with us for our own salvation. Loving God and loving one another as Jesus did. John 13, 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So in the Holy Trinity, 
loving one another to the end as Jesus did and still does for his people is to be remembered and practiced even more through Lent rather than only lamenting or, and torturing our feelings and emotions. We are going through Lent. It is to remember the suffering of Christ for saving sinners. So remember it, remember it waiting for the resurrection morning. At the same time, remembering the failures of the apostles, or Peter, who said, I do not know the man, will give us humbleness and also can make us ready for Christ to carry our cross in this challenging time. Remember Mary, who could prepare Jesus' burial by kept on listening to Jesus and simply did what she could do with her best commitment. And most of all, may we keep loving one another as Jesus did to the end. So we need more than our own power, the power of the Holy Spirit, to complete our Christian pilgrimage and need to be attentive listeners of God's word so that we may experience of God's steadfast love, which is indeed new every morning, and we may share and bear faithful witness to that. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we together look at the scene where Peter denied Jesus, saying, I do not know the man. Going through this land, Lord, make us humble and help us to understand that it's simply impossible by our own power and strength. To follow you, Lord, we need, we need your spirit, your power, your being with us and walking with us. Many temptations, upheavals, changes and challenges are happening. Help us be attentive listeners to the Spirit, to the Bible, that we may discern what is good and bad, what is right and wrong, what is truth and lies. And most of all, Lord, help us love one another in Christ Jesus, serving each other, accepting each other, celebrating each other, rejoicing together as Jesus did to the end to his people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.